Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Robbie, Willie, Matty, Eustace, Harry, Arthur, Edward, Roger. What's that, I hear you say? That's not the normal rhyme. What's happened here? Who are these people? Well, this is another special episode of Willie, Willie, Harry, Stee. A sidebar episode in which we take a look at would-be monarchs. Some of the people in our history who should have come to the throne, but never did, for one reason or another. It's basically a light amuse-bouche between courses. And I'll be talking to Ashley Mantle, the author of a new book called Uncrowned. Uh, It's published by Amberley and it's out now. Welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Charlie. Now, I came across your book on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. And I think it was Matthew Lewis who had alerted his followers to, to you and the book Uncrowned. That's the wonder of Twitter or X. Are we going to have to keep saying that till the end of time? Anyway, uh, yeah, Matthew, Matthew Lewis was my guest uh, for the episode on Richard III. And I was immediately intrigued because your book is like the dark side to what I'm doing. The underside, monarchs that didn't make it. It's the upside down world of stranger things. And I was just very intrigued that that is a really interesting subject. I mean, what what led you to, to write about our uncrowned monarchs, as it were? Well, I first began writing a series of books called Pocket Monarchs. So the idea of this series was to do a short biography on each of the monarchs of England and Great Britain, aimed at the beginner. So a bit like what I'm doing on this series. Yeah, basically, yeah, essentially, yeah, the same, yeah. Do you have the same problem that I did, that you wrote one and then you thought, oh, my God, there's so much work to do the whole lot? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so I was flitting between projects. I was like, which monarch do I do next? And I've always been fascinated by Henry the First. so yeah. he was the next option. I did King John first, I should yeah. say. So I did Henry the First. but while researching Henry, I got really interested in Robert Kurt Hose, who was the eldest mm. of William the Conqueror, who twice barred from the throne yeah my listeners might remember him as little bobby short pants uh which is what i called him in the series but uh but, sorry carry on you wanted to write something about robert yeah but he didn't fit in with the kind of the ethos of this series so the idea of you know he was never a monarch mm. so i thought i oh, know spin-off book so <laughs> i started thinking of ideas of 
looking at other monarchs or you know people who are always monarch um in so people like edward v who was king but obviously not not very long and lady jane gray etc how many unmonarchs do you cover in the book there's 25 so there's there's a lot wow. of, i write and a lot of research but uh it was all worth it in the end so g- give us a rundown of some of the ones that people might not instantly think of who i mean obviously if you say who's an uncrowned monarch most people would be able to come up with edward the eighth I didn't actually include Edward VIII. He's one character I decided. But the one that everyone knew. <laughs> the reason I decided not to put Edward VIII in was I feel that I mean he did become king. I mean, like obviously a, a few figures in, in the book. He was never obviously he was never crowned. Yeah. Although he was kind of forced, he did decide that he didn't want to take the throne, and that I'm more looking at the people who either forced or by different things, death or or war or politics whatever forced out or being the wrong sex yeah or be, yeah that's certain yeah so i mean female succession is a funny area when we look at it obviously up until recently so we had the um succession to the crown act in 2013 so this has basically said that although the throne's still primogenic i.e it goes down birth order um it doesn't just do it by males first and female second now so it's more you know, if if someone has a child as a female, the female will inherit before a male. So that's only since 2013. Yeah. So um, if we look at it today, so obviously we had recently had Charles III, obviously, take the throne. Uh, his son, William, obviously, is going to be the next king, obviously. Um, but he will. He was the eldest of the two children, anyway, and male, so it doesn't make any difference there. George, obviously, who was the next heir after that, is eldest, so it doesn't affect, you know, and soon George has children down the line for elizabeth ii if she had had a younger brother that brother would have taken the throne ahead of her yes yeah yeah it was a very patriarchal society wasn't it so the first person who's been affected by this is princess charlotte so princess charlotte is actually higher up in the succession than prince louis right so if for any reason obviously something happened to george it would be charlotte who inherited next so you know it's, it's quite interesting so she is closer to the throne than Harry? Yes, yeah. So something obviously tragic would have to happen for Harry to ever, mm. you know, become king. I speculate, and I know I shouldn't, about Meghan Markle. You do wonder that if because she was American, she perhaps didn't understand the full intricacies of how succession works and may have thought, oh, well, Harry, he's second in line to the throne. He's a really <laughs> important guy. You know, I might even you can quit, uh, yeah. progress myself. And then maybe she found out, what? How far down the list are we? <laughs> Harry's are nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly possible, isn't it? But I mean, obviously, his children are um, are still princes. Um, but yeah, yeah it's, it's not not very likely they're ever going to succeed. So Edward VIII's not in there, or poor old Prince Harry. Uh, who are some of the characters who did make it in? Well, the ones <laughs> everyone knows, uh, I would say, are people like the Black Prince, Edward Woodstock. Yeah. Mary Queen of Scots, um, Lady Jane Grey is another one. Edward V, obviously, is very well known. Mm. as one of the princes in the Tower. And the less lot... well-known ones? Um, so I'd say Robert Kurt Hose, who, Robert yeah. Duke of Normandy. He's definitely one. you got William Etheling, who's the son of Henry I, who basically led to the anarchy. Went down in the white ship. That's right, yeah. Quite hard to research some of these earlier figures, I should imagine. I mean, particularly as they didn't end up on the throne. And people may have felt at the time that their lives weren't recording in any great detail, like William Atheling. The repercussions of his death are, are well known, documented, but mm. not really much is said about him himself. I mean, there isn't a you know 
a substantial amount of detail, really. And you'll find that with a few of the figures, particularly ones who died young, like, say, Edward of Middleham, uh, the son of Richard III, who died uh, tragically really young. So there's not a lot of detail on some of them. And then you've got others like Mary, Queen of Scots or the Black Prince, obviously, who had quite full lives. Mm. Despite the fact that they both died young. I mean, gosh, I mean, when you think about it, there are so many of these figures, aren't there? You get into the Tudor period, so obviously you've got Lady Jane Grey, but then you've got her sisters, so you've got Catherine Grey and Mary Grey, who were um, heiresses presumptive. Um, so the Tudor period gets quite quite complex. And then you get into, into the Lady period, so you've got people like James Francis Edward Stuart, um, who was the son of uh, James II. Um, That's the guy known as the old pretender. I mean, yeah, I mean, I guess he fully expected to come to the throne as James's son, but then his Catholic dad got deposed by William and Mary in the so-called Glorious Revolution. And, of course, he was the father of the young pretender, Bonnie Prince Charlie, the last great hope of the Scots' cause. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, and I think I'm probably in the last generation of people who could say this, these stories were quite well known. We were taught the history and how it all fitted together. But I'm sure if I asked my boys who Bonnie Prince Charlie was, they'd have no idea and certainly no idea of what his connection to the throne was. Despite that, though, and I have to say that generally to people who are interested in history, I suppose the old pretender and the young pretender are pretty well known. But I guess most of the unmonarchs in your book are less well known. So there's quite a few I think people generally wouldn't know, unless you're obviously a really keen historian who's very well read. And then, you know, there, there's a lot of lot of people to discover in there, I'd say. Yeah, and and as you touched on before, there's a great what if through all of this, isn't there? That how our history would have changed if almost any one of those had either not died or had managed to hold on to the throne a bit longer. Yeah, I mean, you've got to think of something like, a key one would be Arthur Tudor, yeah. um, Prince of Wales, the eldest son of Henry VII. Had he not died, would we have had a Reformation? Obviously, um, the Reformation kind of wasn't born, you know, uh, just purely from uh, Henry VIII's break with Rome. Obviously, the ideas of Protestantism, like uh, with Luther and everything, were already seeping into the country. So the ideas are already there. And But it was more Henry's break with Rome was the vehicle in which it was introduced. But people obviously were still discovering this new religion so it may have happened at some point in the future i'm sure something would happen like happened in france with the religious wars maybe but yeah history could have been very different yeah whether it, whether it happens like sliding doors that things diverge but always end up in the same place <laughs> that's right and i mean were there any that you came across that you hadn't known much about before and thought wow this, this person is actually really interesting yeah a good case there would be sophia electress of hanover mm. so she's a name that a lot of people will probably have come across if you look into the succession because she's basically was the mother of george the first so obviously when the, the hanoverians come over mm. but in the you've got some different acts so governmental acts in the act of settlement it was recognized that any future kings or queens had to be descended from sophia she was a 12th child out of 13 and she'd have obviously a lot of brothers and sisters but by the time the act of settlement happened Many of either passed on or they had converted to Catholicism. So uh, Sophia was a, a Protestant, and because of that, obviously, she was uh, the next eligible one. It's something like they passed over about 52 individuals, I think. Yeah. Desperate to find a good Protestant. Quite amazing, really. And what was she like? As I've mentioned her, I've touched on her, but 
we haven't come as far as George the first, but the, the little I know about her was that she was considered a little bit eccentric and kind of obsessed. It was like desperate to get herself onto the throne and everyone was thinking, yeah, but that's never going to happen, Sophia. Yeah, perhaps towards the end. I mean, something that's really interesting about Sophia is out of all the characters in the book and probably a lot in just general history, she's actually left a memoir. Mm. So this only covers about the first 50 years of her life. And it's quite funny. It kind of reads a bit like a romance novel in a sense. <laughs> it's, it's just the way it's written. But she comes across as very witty. Um, it charts, I say, so her, for all her, her marriage, she married um, Ernest Augustus, who ended up being the Elector of Hanover. And Ernest wasn't meant to marry her originally. It was actually his older brother, George. But George didn't want to marry. He he had this kind of life, um, a bit like a playboy life, really, I suppose you'd say. <laughs> that doesn't stop a lot of monarchs. They no, marry no, and carry well, on. <laughs> he, agreed to, he agreed to marry Sophia, but he got cold feet, so he let Ernest marry her instead. But obviously the whole Sophia being the next in line didn't really happen until after the glorious revolution of 1688. So mm. when James II was fled the throne... Um, and his son, James Francis, uh, being a Catholic, wasn't obviously recognised as heir. So they whittled down through yeah, different monarchs, and then we, we got towards Sophia then. But, uh, yeah, she comes across, she's very, I say, very witty, very intelligent, and at, at the ends of her, of her life, she was kind of, I guess, pushing for the throne. I wouldn't say she was kind of desperate for it. I mean, she was very old at this point, so mm. it was unlikely she was going to ever uh, take it. I mean, Anne was a lot younger, a lot mm. You know, one would assume more healthy. Um, I think Sophia lived, she lived a really quite a lot, you know, I think into her 80s. So it's quite remarkable, really. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. So you say you've avoided Edward VIII. So, I mean, who's the last entry in the book, presuming it's in chronological order? Uh, it's Frederick, Duke of York and Albany. So he's the second brother of George IV. Right. So George IV generally regarded as a pretty ghastly monarch, an awful man. Uh, so he died childless. Well, he had no surviving legitimate children. So Frederick, Duke of York, was his younger brother, right? Which meant as kids, Frederick, I suppose, was next in line to the throne after big brother George. He was, what do you call it, heir presumptive, presumptive? So obviously for a lot of the time, he was um, an heir presumptive to the throne. Okay. But George did end up, Marion and he and he had um a daughter, Princess Charlotte. So obviously she was then gonna be heir. So that obviously knocked Frederick out, out, out of the out of the running. But she tragically died um after giving birth um and the child died. So after that, Frederick was once again second in line. And there was a point when when George III died, 
that uh, George the Fourth was actually quite ill at the time. So had he passed, mm. we could have had a, a King Frederick on the on the throne. After George the Fourth, we get to William. That's it. yeah. So William's like the the next younger brother then. So w- William was younger than Frederick or older than Frederick? Younger. So what happened to Frederick? Um, Frederick just died. In oh, the right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he predeceased um, his brother. He got dropsy. I think he was in his sixties or something when he died. He predeceased George the Fourth. Mm. Not by too much, but he he did. So he never became and never became king, even though he was presumptive to the throne. Did you have to make decisions down the line about other figures of of like well? Because theoretically, everybody is a potential successor to the throne if everyone else dies, kind of thing. Were, were there decisions that you made and you thought, well, they're not that interesting enough? Yeah, there was. Um, I mean, one of the big uh, points was that um, X amount of words mm. to write of all these characters in. I wanted each character to have you know a decent amount of a writer. Yeah. You know, it would be a page and that was it. Um, I mean, I, I could have increased it tenfold, really. I tried just to, instead of going on just saying like, you know, these are all potential heirs, I try to look at as the heirs of parents or in the case of females, usually presumptive. So I use that to basically pick out the characters. So I don't really think there was many that I, any really that I missed out. I mean, I think yeah. I pretty much yeah. put everyone in. And did you have any favourites? Did you have any, you, any that you thought, I really wish they had come to the throne. Things would have been so much better for everyone. I don't know if I would say about things being better. <laughs> but I don't think he was a... Well, I mean, a, you could kind of say if everybody had agreed to allow Matilda to come to the throne, we wouldn't have been thrown into the, the great anarchy. But, I mean, even if she had come to the throne, everybody would have been contesting it anyway. But Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, the one that I really found interesting was Robert Cutthoe, who's obviously mm. the one who started the project off. Um, and... He's an interesting character because um, he's obviously William the Conqueror's eldest son. Mm-hmm. Um, he's made Duke, well, recognised the Duke of Normandy as the eldest son. But at this time, Normandy, it wasn't, there was no primogeniture. The, the Duke would basically choose his successor. So he could basically choose anyone he wanted, mm. you know, any of his sons. It become tradition really to choose the eldest. So Robert automatically, he William followed that kind of um, tradition and, and made Robert heir. When it, when it comes to England, it, it's slightly different. So, again, there was no primogeniture. So there was no, you know, it wasn't the eldest son always succeeded. Again, the monarch would pick, would designate his successor. But there was also kind of this element of election around it. So you had Dr. Witten and the, the, the Great Council. And it was if, if the throne was contested, it would be whoever they threw their support behind. So it gave this kind of this element of election so, and we can't see this elect- elective element, you know, in the succession of Henry the First and 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 Stephen. Hmm. But Robert ends up falling out with uh, William the Conqueror. He he doesn't give him any power, and he ends up rebelling against uh, William the Conqueror in the late ten seventies. So they end up making up with um, the help of Matilda, his mother, um, and William's wife. But when she dies, they they fall out again. He ends up going back into exile. And when he's in exile, he kind of picks up all these. Uh, bad habits, he becomes lazy and fond of like a really easy life, you know, things that are not suitable for a ruler who needs to, you know, <laughs> somewhere like Normandy in, in, in medieval times. So when William dies, he's got no choice but to give Rob Normandy. He's, he's had him, already recognised him, the barons have paid homage to him, he, he's going to be Duke of Normandy. But England, as I say, they can designate their successor. But we don't really know what William's 
thoughts were on England. Uh, we know obviously what he did, but it was likely he probably would have given it to Robert or been well because it was tradition for like the the Dukes to if they got any acquisitions land they you know acquired which like for instance Maine they acquired they would give that with the the, the main patrimony in Normandy. But Rob uh, Rob obviously been in exile. William um, had a deep dislike of him, like so he gave it to his second son William Rufus. So. Uh, Rufus became king, and but as far as uh, as the Normans were concerned, is there not a slight feeling that, that they actually felt that Normandy was more important than England, and that was actually the the, the first prize, and England was the second prize? I, I understand what you're saying. Obviously, um, England was an acquisition, but England was a lot more wealthy than Normandy. So I think Normandy always was probably in the four in their forethoughts, but England, I say, the richer of the two of the prizes, and also something that William did by separating these two. He obviously created problems then for the um, mm. barons who own land on either side because if Robert and uh, William Rufus fall out, they support one, they could lose the land on on the other side. So William, you know, he did. It was a quite a bad move really of you know, of William to do to to separate it and cause these kind of future problems. But it set the precedent for how English royal families behaved over the years. As everyone trying to kill each other. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But it was all, it was all so kind of messy and murky back then, wasn't it? They were still, I mean, as you've made clear, they were still trying to work out how this business of succession worked. Like, and I, and I guess he's in your book. Oh God, who was Henry II's eldest son? There are too many names to remember. The one Henry II had crowned while he was still alive. Oh, yes. It's come to me. He was called Henry as well, wasn't he? Henry the Young King. Uh, that's the other thing. They all had the same names. Yeah. He had a, quite a similar trajectory to Robert, and he ended up, um, you know, he was heir to a, all these lands in the Andrewman Empire. He had England, he had Anjou and Normandy, but he was, and he was even crowned. So they went one step further. So this idea that you couldn't, um, that there was no primogeniture, and after obviously the, the Civil War when Stephen had taken the throne. Henry followed the French president of having the heir crowned in your lifetime. So the idea was basically when the monarch died, obviously there was already a crown monarch there, so no one could really say anything. Yeah. Um, so he had Henry II crowned, but this caused a lot of problems. Henry ended up, you know, not having any power like Robert, and he rebelled twice against his father and ended up dying, you know, in ignominy, really. In some ways, could you sort of read your book as a sort of alternative history of the last thousand years? Yeah, you could. I mean, I tried not to jump into the lands of what if, yeah, because that can just take you into so many different places, and it's all you know. We could say that any slight change to anything obviously is going to affect the future. Now, in this podcast, I'm looking at our history through the lens of the monarchs, using them as a way into it, as a thread, um, a storyline. Could you see your book as running alongside that as an alternative thread, an alternative way to look at this part of our history, sort of from the perspective of the losers, I suppose? Does it cover the whole period? It covers uh, nearly a thousand years of history, this book does. So there's a lot of a lot of history in there. So um, it takes you through all the different, you know, the civil wars. There's two bits in the book that don't really feature that's the reigns of Henry the Third and the first few Edwards, just because the, in that at this point the heirs kept succeeding. There was no break. Yeah. So Edward one, two, three, all succeeded. Um, even though Edward II was deposed, Edward I still succeeded him. Another bit is the civil war as well, because 
Um, obviously, Charles the First was eventually succeeded by Charles the Second in the in the Restoration. Mm. So there's a few little pockets that it doesn't really cover. It, it's just very you know briefly mentions them because mm. obviously they're, they're still important. But otherwise, you you kind of roughly got an alternative monarch for I suppose about every two monarchs. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Uh, there's different figures like. So the young king had a, an elder brother called William who died young. There's so many different heirs who actually died before even sometimes the heirs that I'm writing about. Obviously, the uh, William died really young, so there's nothing I could write about him. There's a hell of a lot of uh, you know, potential kings and queens out there that we could have had. OK, well, I've got a copy of your book here and I'm just taking a look through the contents page to see what you've got in there. Uh, whenever I have guest historians on, I always wish I had the time to read their books in advance. But life's too short, Ashley, and I've got to cover so much ground that if I read all these books, I wouldn't have any time to write any of my own. But I, I'm glad to see that you've got a couple of Mortimers in there, including a Roger Mortimer. I don't think any history book is complete without an appearance by one of the Roger Mortimers. Uh, other familiar aristocratic names you've got here. You've got John de la Poole, Lady Margaret Clifford, Mary, Queen of Scots, of course. I mean, as you said at the beginning, you've got 25 great characters here, any one of which could have ruled the country. But come on now. I pressed you on this earlier, and I know you don't like playing the what-if game. But there must be at least one of them that when you were writing this book, you thought, oh, they were good. You know, someone who you would really have liked to see come to the throne. So which of them do you think might have done a better job of it than the person that did come to the throne? Potentially a good one would be Henry Frederick. So Henry Frederick's the eldest son of James I. He was born when James was just King of Scotland, so before he came over in 1603. Um, and he was raised also to be King of Scotland and then also, also England. He died, he was only about 18 when he died. Mm. He died uh, of typhoid fever. He was quite different to Charles, so he was quite, uh, he was much more athletic. He was a very warmongering as well. Um, he, he was like, had more military bent to him. And I kind of feel that if he had become king, then perhaps we wouldn't have had the Civil War. But it's hard to say because obviously a big part of the Civil War was this idea of problems as the divine right of kings, mm. which um, suggests that the the king answered only to God alone. Uh, now, Henry was brought up, obviously, on those same principles. His father wrote this basic manual, this how of how to rule, called mm. the uh, Bitsilicon Duran. So Henry wasn't still with the same ideas. So, I mean, he does seem to have been quite a dynamic figure. Uh, and it seems that, that his younger brother, Charles, really looked up to him. Yeah, I mean, he was beloved in the country. I mean, there was when he died, there was like a massive outpouring of grief for Henry. Mm. And I think part of that, see, he was just very, very different to his father. You know, the Protestants loved him. He was very religious. Um, and they kind of thought that he might get rid of Catholic idolatry, basically. So there was there was a lot of hope in him. But there's also that, obviously, that idea that although there's a lot of hope in him, he looks better because of what we know happens. Well, that's the case for so many of the, of the monarchs is that... that those that died relatively young managed to preserve their reputation and, th and those that lingered on by the end they were they were weak and everything was falling apart edward the third's perfect example of that isn't it yes yes in a glorious early reign and then <laughs> well we you know every reign inevitably ends in failure every life yeah. ends in failure <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i mean you know whoever succeeded to james the first was taking on 
a lot of problems and they needed to be tougher than Charles, I guess. I think uh, Henry Frederick would have done a good job. I say, as again, it's, it's hard to say. Um, and as we say, he looks better in hindsight. And there would have always been people complaining and trying to get rid of him. That's it, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's been really interesting, Ashley. So thank you so much for joining me on the show and good luck with your book, Uncrowned. And good luck with whichever monarch you think you're going to come on to write about next. Thank you very much, Charlotte. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. So that was Ashley Mantle, author of Uncrowned, taking a sideways look at the history of our monarchy. Join me on the next episode of Willy Willy Harry Stee for the next stage of our trek through British history. Follow or subscribe to the podcast now so you don't miss it when it drops. Willy Willy Harry Stee was written and presented by me, Charlie Hickson, with music by Tom Jenkins and production by Mark Jeeves. Willy Willy Harry Stee, the podcast, is the copyright of Charlie Hickson, 2023. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.